Hi, my name is Marcus. I am an alcoholic. Um, I've been sober for about two and a half years. Uh, my sobriety day is March 25th, 2020. And I did. I came in uh, to the rooms uh, Zoom only because at the time in New Mexico is right after COVID kicked off when I started to uh, reach out and seek treatment. And there was nothing in person available. Everything got shut down. Uh, and so, yeah, I started on Zoom. I have since embraced the the uh, in-person meeting, which I'll get to here in a little bit. But, uh, I guess going back in the way back time machine, as a kid, I was a really angry kid. I never felt like I fit in. I always uh, felt like I was the oddball out. Um, I got in fights a lot uh, up until junior high, which here in the States, well, at least in Colorado, it's very state to state. Junior high year is uh, seventh and eighth grade. Up until junior high, I was bullied and picked on a lot. Um, my parents got divorced before I was three. And uh, my mom remarried when I was nine <clears throat> into a strong Irish Catholic family. They had five kids and he had 12 brothers and sisters and they all had a crap ton of kids. And it's a, a giant family. And, uh, my mom married him uh, about a year after his first wife had died of cancer. And we were never, her and I were never really accepted as part of the family, uh, with the exception of my stepdad. Uh, if I could say there was somebody that I would call a saint, I would call my stepdad a saint. Uh, he treated me with the same love that he treated all his other kids. And overall, my parents, my biological father and I have a complex relationship. Some abuse there. Uh, I do think, I do think he's he loves me, but there's some there's some trauma and abuse growing up uh, before my parents were divorced that I don't even remember. And there's stuff that happened when I was a small child. Moving uh, in, moving to Colorado and living with my stepdad and, and the family there. Uh, picked on and bullied from nine years old all the way until junior high. Uh, never felt loved or appreciated. Always thought I was some oddball. And my uh, stepdad sat me down before junior high and because I was getting picked on so much and getting bullied. I was getting bullied by people. I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. <laughs> I was getting bullied by people literally out of my size. And uh my stepdad sat me down. It's like, if you don't stand up to bullies, it's something that you're going to deal with the rest of your life. And I took that and which I've come to see a pattern in my life is I don't ever do something small or do whatever it is big. So I took that and decided I'd just fucking fight everybody. Um, so I went from afraid to fight to getting suspended multiple times, multiple fist fights, smashing kids into lockers. And I found the outlet for the rage that I that I had always sought. Um, unfortunately, it was just through violence. I, uh, in seventh grade, got in a fight. Kid threw a basketball, hit me in the face. Said, what are you going to do about it? And that's the last thing I remember. I remember sitting on top of him, smashing his face into the asphalt. Um, and that was a pattern of just rage, anger, and fear that just dominated my life all the way through high school. Uh, I, I always wanted to be the, 
the guy that stood out and did something stupid and smoked a lot of weed in high school, alcohol really wasn't part of the picture at that time, other than what was pretty common. Uh, in a, I live in a, I grew up in a very rural area. Uh, we would go out and do bonfires, or you would sneak liquor into the drive-through theater, or something of that nature. It was not something that we did. It was, it wasn't a very common thing, and I never really liked the taste of it. But I did like the effect. And I remember that going back to when I was a small kid. Uh, the first beer I ever had, and it's funny, this memory didn't come to me until recently. <laughs> first beer I ever had was my dad, who my biological father, who I've got some issues with, handed me one of the, at one point, Coors would make these small little, I can't even remember what they were called, ponies or something, they, little tiny cans of beer. And he would, give me those while we sat and watched football together with a small child while he was drinking regular sized beers. But anyway, going into high school, uh, a lot of just getting into fights. I got expelled from high school in 10th grade. And then my stepdad finally convinced the principal to give me another shot. And somewhere between 10th and 11th grade, I met who is now my wife. Um, and one of the running jokes that my mom has always said that if she knew all she need all that if she knew that all she needed to do to straighten me out was get me an older woman, she would have got me one at thirteen. Um, but my wife is uh, six years older than I am, almost. And uh, I saw her in a park, and I was totally enamored, and decided that I wanted to impress this lady. And she was married at the time, by the way. But uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, I, I got straight in school my junior year. I started paying attention to classes. I realized it wasn't as hard as I was making it out to be. And I didn't have to destroy the classroom in order to get grades or get kicked out. Um, I graduated high school, moved in with my wife, literally the weekend I graduated high school. Um, and we were, we were what you would call the epitome of dirt poor. <laughs> we lived in single wide trailers, uh, tiny little eight foot by 50 foot things, uh, struggled mightily, she was going to school. And even, you know, and at that point, I, I would I would smoke weed occasionally, but wasn't really using alcohol that much, even though at the time they just changed the law to 21, I couldn't legally drink at that point anyway, but I was never really into it. Uh, started going to school, my wife ended up pregnant, uh, we got married when I, was, when I was 19, by the way. Started young. Uh, she got pregnant when I was 22. Uh, we were, God, we were, we, we were struggling to pay any bills. And she got laid off from the job she got when she graduated college. We found out she was pregnant. And I'm working two jobs and going to school, and it just wasn't working. So I joined the Army. Uh, one of the best things I ever did, but it's also where I learned how much I fucking loved alcohol. Uh, I got into the army and that is something that everybody did. Uh, and even if you were under 21 at the time, I was 22 anyway, if you're under 21, you could drink in the military. Um, we had a lot of uh, marital and financial problems even when I first got in the army until the station in Germany. And that's where I found that beer could actually be good. 
when I was in the States, uh, you know, it was always, you, if you drank anything, it was just for the effect. You didn't care what it tasted like. And I, I don't think I even realized that I started drinking more on a regular basis. It just kind of progressed. Um, but I have, you know, memories of stories when I was in the military and some of the stupid shit I did. Um, and I just, it just, they became more and more frequent. Uh, we deployed multiple times. Every time we deployed, we couldn't drink where we were deployed. So we would sneak liquor, you know, that's what you do. And nearly got divorced three times while I was in the army. When I got out of the army, moved back to New Mexico. Got a job turning wrenches on helicopters uh, 100 miles away and drove that five days a week, 100 miles one way. And everything seemed to balance out. At one point there, it seemed like things were okay. Our marriage was all right. Uh, we had our second child. Everything seemed to be like it was going okay. Uh, I started hanging out with guys after work. We would go drink on Fridays. We'd get together football here. Football is American. Football is the, the helmets and the pads. And the little ball that's shaped like a damn duck. Um, and, you know, we'd get together and watch football. It, it just, drinking just became more and more a part of what I did. And eventually it just, it started, things just started to change. Uh, I don't, I can't really put my finger on exactly when it started to progress. Um, but I, I noticed that, so as an avid, as a rabid Broncos fan, I would spend my Sundays and I would start drinking. And the first game was usually kicking off around 11 o'clock in the morning, my time. And we would have three or four games on Sunday. <clears throat> and I just started drinking earlier and earlier on days that I normally wouldn't. And on the, I started, and on, I was a rabid fan and anger was one of those things that stayed with me the whole time and as as my drinking progressed the anger became more and more prevalent i went from being the fun drunk to the guy that nobody wanted to be around uh i started noticing that the wife and kids would uh wouldn't just they wouldn't be there on sundays they'd go find go do something else because dad has remote control to smash and little guys on a tv screen to yell at that are hundreds of miles away that don't know me from fucking Adam, but for some reason me yelling at him would make the difference. Uh, and it just became this thing that more and more I would start to isolate and I would look forward more to the times where I could drink than less to the times where I couldn't family. Um, we still did a lot of family vacations. There's a lot of great members peppered through there, but as it progressed, probably the last five, 10 years of my drinking, uh, I, it just got to the point where that's what I cared about. Like we would go on vacation and the first, we would drive into the place, like going to go to Lake Tahoe, beautiful place, one of the most beautiful places in America, very intense to go. And as we're pulling into Lake Tahoe, before we even got to the hotel, let's go get groceries and oh yeah, we got to stop the liquor store so I can get my room. And it just became the thing that it, that I, was the most important thing. And I would often get myself in situations where I would rather drink. I was good about not drinking and driving at least early on. Um, but what the, all that did is isolate me more because I'd be drinking and it's like I want to go somewhere because I can't drive and I wouldn't want to go. And so I ended up by myself. 
uh, and it just became more and more prevalent. Um, I, you know, like I said, I can't remember exactly when I really started to get to the point where I thought I had a problem. For the longest time, I didn't think I had a problem. I wore my my drunken stupors and the stupid shit I would say, like a badge of honor. I'd be proud of it. I'd be like, yeah, I got a fucking shit paid Saturday. It was great. And it was the weirdest thing. But I just started, so like at work, I would start leaving work early. Uh, and it would mainly be on the days that I know my wife isn't home, so I could get home and start drinking. And instead of leaving 30 minutes early, it became an hour, became two hours, became three hours. Next thing, next thing you know, I'm leaving at fucking lunch so I can go home and drink. Uh, I started hiding. Uh, I'd stop uh, here in New Mexico. Every state's different, the liquor laws. But here in New Mexico, you can get fucking Everclear at a gas station. Uh, so I'd, I'd stop at my favorite little gas station on the way home. I'd walk in and tell the attendant, can I get 20 bucks on pump two? And I'd get my rum and coke there and I'd spend like 40 fucking dollars pretending that all I got was gas. So that way, if my wife checked the credit card uh, bill, it would just show one sale at the gas station for 40 bucks. Um, I'd get home. I always had every, all the kids and everybody knew there was a fifth of rum of Captain Morgan sitting in the fridge and that was dad's rum. And I'd come in and I'd get whatever 750 or 500 or whatever I bought. I popped that little spill cap and I would pour whatever I just bought into that big uh, 1.5 liter and put that little spill cap back on to make it look like the levels weren't changing. But yet by the time my wife would get home, I'm already slurring my speech. I'm already, I'm walking to the bedroom and I'm, I'm catching the door frame as I'm going into the bedroom because, you know, it's, so for some reason, the alcohol level's not going down, but I'm getting shit-faced every day. I was convinced that that was a good lie and I was, I was pretty smart. Um, and I started to get enough arguments over the dumbest, dumbest shit. I go on Facebook and just rip into family members when I became an atheist. Uh, I was a fucking angry atheist for a couple of years. I wanted to tell every religious person I knew how fucking stupid they were and berate them for everything. I wanted to fight on Facebook or in person on everyone about what I, you know, how right and justified I was in being this. And it just, it just got more and more toxic. And relationships with family that I had had for years would get cut off, or people didn't, you know, would <laughs> the infamous block on Facebook and. You know, it just it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it went from I I used to I call winding the goalposts. I'd say, okay, I'm not going to drink during the week, or I'm not going to I'm not going to get drunk in front of my kids, or I'm not going to drink and drive. I kept telling myself these stories, and I would just kept I just not well. I mean, I'll drink during the week. As long as I don't get drunk, then I would get drunk. It's like, yeah, well, I'm not drinking and driving. So I would just keep justifying worse and worse and worse behavior and things. And as long as I knew somebody that was, in my mind, worse than I was, then I felt okay. It's like, well, my fucking cousin David drinks while he drives. So I'm not that fucking guy. So I must be all right. Um, and I just kept justifying how bad it got and would make excuses for it. And 
yeah, it just, and then all the while, what used to be the fun drunk turned into the angry drunk. Nobody wanted to be around me. And I just got more and more isolated, which made me more justified in wanting to, to be alone because nobody wanted to be around me. So it, it just, it was a self perpetuating spiral of darkness that I just getting deeper and deeper into. And I, at one point, I knew that I had a problem. This is probably a few years before I stopped drinking. And I started being just painfully honest on my, when I would go see a doctor. And they had this little form you fill. I don't know, it's overseas, but in America, fill a little form about addiction and drug use. And I would, you know, how many drinks do you drink in a week? I'm like, oh, well, let's see. And I, I'm sitting there doing, it would take me a minute. <laughs> of all, I would drink, I was like, yeah, I, 45? You know, and um, and no one would say anything. So it's like I'm, I was on purpose putting it out there, wanting someone to call me on it, and and nobody did. And eventually, I went to a sleep study doctor, and he and his guy from India, uh, and he's he looked at that and he looked, he looked he's like, um, is this accurate? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, doc, yeah, I've been drinking like that for two years, and he he just like, well. You know, that can cause sleep problems, among other things. Uh, but he didn't get into too much detail on it. it. But even then, it never never really got called on it. Um, and then I had, what is like a lot of people say, I had my moment of clarity. Um, my youngest daughter was going to college at the biggest school here in Mexico. Uh, was just not doing well. She's going to drop out of college. We knew she was and she had set up a time to meet us to talk about it. My wife's like, you know, don't drink. We don't want you to drink. You know, the risk. You need to be able to sit down and have a reasonable conversation. Well, that fucking happened. I, uh, I got shit-faced long before she showed up. And when she got there, I, I, just, I just laid in. Um, I said stuff that, to this day, it's hard for me to, to even think about what they said. I, I to, to a total stranger, let alone um, my own flesh and blood. And I just eviscerated her and left her there crumbling when she left. And she had um, problems with uh, mental health, had been suicidal. Uh, so when she left storming out of the house, you know, I'm staying there in the living room. And my wife, knowing how this pit for me had gotten worse and worse and worse, and some of the things I would say in our arguments when I was drinking was like, wow, well, you know, I'd have just fucking die anyway because you guys will get the life insurance and you'd be better off without me. And it's just, so she's standing there with, with me in this darkness and then her daughter, who we knew had suicide and other mental health problems and she stormed off, she went after my daughter as she was leaving. It's like, that's it, I can't take this anymore. You gotta do something. This, I can't do this. And, and that was really the first time we'd nearly been divorced three times. And that's the first time I truly thought that, that was going to be it. I really felt she, you know, she wasn't going to put up with it. And she went after our daughter. Thankfully, I'm glad that she did. And the next, the next day, I, I called a local treatment center in Albuquerque. I live about 30 miles outside Albuquerque, New Mexico, where Bugs Bunny always took the wrong turn. Um, and I, uh, I called them and I'm fucking grateful that, you know, that they're there. They, they called me back in less than an hour. 
and and I self-enrolled in the uh, intensive outpatient program at IOP. And it's where you go to uh, three to five. At the time, it would be in-person meetings, but they're on Zoom. Uh, three to five Zoom meetings a, a week for a couple hours. Plus, I'd have to do four external meetings, AA or NA meetings uh, on top of that. And I got assigned a, an addiction counselor. And I did that for several months. I don't. I never finished the entire program. I uh, I actually met with my counselor at one point, and she even agreed that you know I think you're at a place where you can just go into meetings. Yeah, I was like, okay. So I, but in that time, I had to find external meetings, and I found fucking oh my god. And I know I'm not the only person I've heard other people Zoom babies. Uh, I, I I went into oh my god. Uh, it was either my second or third meeting. I was a wreck. I said, I need a sponsor. I have to have a sponsor for my treatment program. And I met my sponsor in that meeting. And he is still my sponsor. <laughs> and he's here today. Yeah, it's great. Um, and I, uh, that's where it all started. And the first, um, the first 90 days were really fucking hard. Craving the drink, the not thinking that this shit was for me, thinking that, you know what, I can just do this for a little while and get these people off my back. I can drink normal. You know, I can do it. And it's, I, I don't know uh, why I thought I was, you know, special, but I've heard over the years, having been in these rooms for a couple of years, that is not a rare thing. Uh, terminal unique, uniqueness is something that plagues many people, and I was one of them. Uh, and I, I really felt that I didn't, that it wasn't going to work for me, but it just, I was open-minded enough to say, you know what, I'm going to try to work. I'm fucking here. I have to do this stuff. I self-enrolled. I got to do this stuff. So I go to these meetings, listening to these people, and I, and I started to pick up on what addiction is and how alcohol affects your brain, all this stuff. And eventually, after a few months, it just started to make sense. And I fell in love with the people I met at Omegon, and after about uh, I know, six, seven months, uh, I listened to a speaker meeting there about a guy talking about service. Uh, his name's Jeremy, still remember, and he kind of went on a rant uh, about how this shit doesn't run itself, and service is important, it keeps us sober, and all this stuff, and I'm like, well, shit, I'm just sitting here listening, to him. maybe I should get into service, because he's talking to me. And uh, I got in there and I started doing service at Oh My God, I think around you know eight or nine months in. I worked the steps with my sponsor. Uh, steps four and five was fucking powerful. I'm I'm you know I am secular, I'm an atheist, but it was it was a powerful experience. It was it was something that I am grateful that I was able to do and do with him. And then steps uh, step eight nine was powerful. I I, I did the amends. I, I I went to a neighbor who I got into a drunk argument with with shotguns. This is your typical redneck fucking drunk story. I'm standing there across the yard with a shotgun pointing at my fucking neighbor. He's standing behind his wood pile and we're yelling and cussing at each other over a fucking dog that had got in my yard that was fighting with my dog. And, you know, thank goodness no one got hurt because <laughs> I had a that had been, instead of, you hear those Florida man stories, it had been the Mexico man shoots neighbor. Um, 
it's just, you know, I, <laughs> I really, it's amazing to me how different I am today than I was three years ago. Um, and I owe all of the change and everything to this fucking program. Um, you know, I, I believe there's a million ways to get sober. I have heard people to do all sorts of stuff. Life ring, smart, and whatever. And it's great. Uh, I know people who don't go to meetings and don't have sponsors. That's fucking great too, man. If that works, you. I needed, I needed someone to guide me through the forest of insanity that was my fucking head. I needed someone to walk me out of that jungle uh, and show me the way. And I was at the place where I needed. I, I, I. And I'm grateful that in my story, I have a lot of not yet's. As much as I should have DUIs, uh, driving while intoxicated under the influence here, I don't. I should, but I don't. Didn't lose my job. <laughs> I probably should have. Um, you know, I've been able, through the amends process of the steps, I've been able to rebuild the relationship with my youngest daughter, which was the one that was probably the most damaged. And, and we have a great relationship to this day. And my, uh, my oldest daughter, you know, when I went to make amends uh, with her, one of the things uh, she gave me for Father's Day, I've got to hang on a wall, you know, get it down. I, I framed it, I don't know if, if I can, so, so I got it. It's something that she hand grew and wrote, but it's a uh, let the storm rage, turbulence, trouble, and turmoil in the eye of the storm remain in peace. Dear Dad, I'm so proud that you have been able to capture your own storm. Here's a cloud and glass to symbolize your success story. I love you. And here's my little cloud. It's like a little piece of plastic with a cloud in it. And I, I frame this and it sits above my desk as one of the constant reminders of how far um, I've come and how different my life is today than it was three years ago. And if it hadn't been for the treatment center that I called, I don't know where I would be. If it hadn't been for Oh My God and a secular online meeting that was there when an angry atheist needed a place to go and, and meet other sober people. I don't know where I would be. Hadn't been for my fucking sponsor who took me in first or second meeting. I can't remember. You know, and here's where my fucked up thinking was at the time. Two people called me at that meeting when I asked for the sponsor. First guy that called me, great guy. He says, you're going to have to do 90 and 90 if you want me to sponsor. I'm like, fuck that. That's too much work. So... <laughs> That's where my head was at that stage. I still wasn't fully committed thinking that this is what I needed. Um, but after working through the steps, doing service, which if, if you're not, if you don't do regular service, I'm not telling you to do it because the rooms need you. They do. Do it for your fucking self. Feels great. Um, and sponsorship. Um, I didn't take my first sponsee until I was like 13, 14 months sober because I was fucking deathly afraid that I was going to break somebody because I felt I was, 
I was like, I'm just fucking lucky that I'm here. You don't want me touching that fucking China. I will smash it. And I, but I, a guy, guys in the rooms, you know, as always, when I had trouble with my four step and I, I would go and I would share about it. I don't want to do this shit. I want to tell some total stranger all the fucked up shit I did. And, and I said, I was so worried about the fifth step. And the guy in a meeting said, hey, man, don't worry about the fifth step. And this is that, oh, my God, a guy named Andy. Don't worry about the fifth step. Just finish your fourth step. I'll, I'll worry about your fifth step for you. So I finished the actual fourth step, doing the writing. Then I reached out to my sponsor. With the fifth step. Every, at every step of the way, the fellowship has been what got me to the next stage. Um, and it, if it weren't for this group, if it weren't for all the people that I've met and grown with in this program, I don't know where I would be. I'm sure if I wouldn't be dead, I would be alone. Um, and I used to think that how am I going to have fun in my life without drinking? And now it's like, how am I going to have fun in my life without this fellowship? It's everyone that I have met and how, how much I enjoy being in the presence of these people. It is, it is more fun than anything I did when I was drinking. I started my own fucking meeting back in June in Albuquerque because we didn't have any in-person secular meetings because once COVID hit, everything went Zoom. And when they started reopening, there was only a couple of secular meetings. And I was like, you know what? It's an underserved community. We need this. And I started a meeting. We had two, me and Janice from New Mexico started it together. And now we have not. There were nine people in the meeting today. I couldn't be there because of COVID. I'm still getting over COVID. But one of the guys was nice enough to put his phone on speaker phone and I got to be a part of the entire meeting. Hear everyone share, even got to share. So, I, you know, the people here in this fellowship are the people that I, I now consider some of my best friends. Um, and I've trusted people here with stuff that I haven't told. I'm closer with people in these rooms than I am with my own family in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I love AA, I love what AA has given me, and I, I feel I owe this program and the people in it to give back, because I, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for everyone. So, um, I think at this point I might be rambling. So, I guess, uh, I think I'll, uh, I didn't, you know, I have notes, and normally I use my notes Nathan is going to laugh at me for not using my notes. I'm usually pretty anal about following my notes. Um, but I just kind of got off on it. And uh, I guess all I'll say is, you know, you talk about experience, strength, and hope. Um, I don't know about the experience. I'm still only two and a half years in. Uh, but everything is, everything in my life now is better than it was. Um, and that's the hope part of it for me, too. This program and the people in it saved my life. I do anything I can to get back. Uh, I guess with that, I love you guys. Pass.